Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning and to have this opportunity to uh, open up uh, the book of Malachi. So if you uh, want to take your Bibles and open to the book of Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. And we'll be um, covering the first five verses. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And so let's just read uh, those verses and then we'll um, see what the Lord I would have for us this morning. The oracle of the word of the Lord to, the, it to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. Father, this morning as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear your voice, and that um, our lives would be changed for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, um, before any of us were around, there was a, a man who was a pastor, and he wrote a song that we sing called Come Now Fount. And uh, we, we know that verse that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, right? And the story goes, it's an unsubstantiated story, so the story goes that uh, he, uh, he backslid, and he was just miserable. And he, was, he decided that he should travel. That would help his spirits and that sort of thing. And perhaps it would, I don't know. But uh, so he was traveling, and it was back in the days of uh, carriages and such. And he's in this carriage, and there's a young lady sitting across from him. And she's um, reading this uh, poem that she's found, and she's, she's reading it. And, and he says to her, uh, I am the man who wrote those words, and how I would long to have that peace again and to have that joy that I had. And she assured him that God had not changed and that he could have that assurance. So I thought about that. I, I like that story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a, it's a fun story, right? And a great story of, of who God is and how faithful he is. But I thought about that and I thought, well, there might be some younger people in the audience that might not connect to that. And so I thought, there's a, there's a current artist whose name is Zach Williams. Now, Zach Williams uh, grew up in the church. Uh, he, his father was a worship leader. He said that he, he, being Zach, was at church Sunday and Wednesday, you know, every week he was there. And he said that in his testimony that he even uh, went 
uh, at church camp, he went up front and he dedicated his life to Christ, but he said his heart was not in it. And so as he progressed along and he went into college, he was quite successful at sports and that sort of thing, and he was probably popular because of that, but as he went along, um, he was going off to college and uh, he found that he could play the guitar, and so he played the guitar and he got injured and couldn't play sports. And the next thing that happens in his life is he finds that he started a band and uh, he's traveling around the country and he's, he's going across the seas. And along with that, uh, this was not a Christian band, this was a band. Uh, and not that all bands are bad, just it wasn't a Christian band, so I'm just saying that. Um, uh, but he also um, got involved in drugs. And so his life spiraled down and uh, many things went wrong, which I won't go into all the details of, but you could read that for yourself. But the Lord wasn't done with him and the Lord pursued him. And through another brother's uh, song, his heart was changed and he came back to the Lord. And uh, he would say uh, in, in his testimony that uh, that was the time when there was a heart change in his life, that God changed his life and rescued him and delivered him. So what does that have to do with, with uh, Malachi? When we, when we look at Malachi in these first five verses, Malachi has, has been given a message, right? He's got a message, and, he, and in some versions it will say that it's the burden of the Lord or the burden of the word of the Lord. Uh, some will say it's an oracle, uh, different ones. But the idea of burden is that this is a weighty message. This isn't just uh, you know, a feel-good message. This is a weighty message. This is something that's really important that, that the Lord wants Israel to hear, and he's sending Malachi to deliver that message. Uh, and so it's a weighty message. So this message this morning, and this message really from the time of Malachi, it's the same message, the message hasn't changed, but the message is to the nation of Israel, right? It was delivered to the nation of Israel. This is what, the, here's, here, he's gonna lay out, this, this is how, who you are, this is what you're doing, you need to change. But it's also a message to us today. We know from uh, the book of Romans in chapter 10 that the things in the Old Testament are written for our learning. It's not just that God thought that was a great story and we should know it. It'd be fun to read those stories of David and Goliath and of Samson and all those cool things that we read about. Those are fun to read, but it's not just fun. It's a message that has a message for us today. And so there's a message for God's people today, the church. And then there's an individual message. There's a message for me and for you this morning that Malachi first delivered to the people of Israel. I love, I love this, the way God starts out in his message. Um, you know, sometimes when somebody's not doing what we would like them to do, uh, we jump right into you need, to, you need to shape up or ship out or whatever, however you phrase that in your, in your family, right? We just jump right into the heart of the problem. Boom, you've got a problem, you've got to deal with it. Uh, God is really doing that, but he starts off with this uh, reminder of who he is and what his attitude, what his 
intention, what his desire is for Israel. And the first thing that he says to Israel is, I have loved you. I have loved you. Now that word, that phrase is not all past tense. That's like present tense and going backwards. I have loved you. It's as if I was to say to Beth, if I say I love you, that's present tense, right? I love you right now, I love you. If I say I have loved you, it's gonna go backwards. It's gonna go back from the time that I say that until, well, we, we're not eternal, so we don't have a shorter span like this, like this, right? Um, but it's that idea of I have loved you is not all past tense, it's present tense as well. And God says to, uh, to the children of Israel, he declares and reminds Israel of his love. We remember from last week that Ben was telling us that where, where is this situated, where, what's happening, what's the time frame? This is after Ezra and Nehemiah and the revival and the rebuilding of the temple and the wall. And, and the people had, were on fire for God and they wanted to do what he said, but as time passed, they, they became cold and they drifted away because things weren't going the way they thought they should go. God wasn't doing the things that they thought God should do. Their expectation was different than God's plan. And because of that, they drift away uh, from the Lord. And he's going to lay that out for them in the coming verses and chapters of Malachi. And he's going to point out some things that are very clear, like this, this is what you're doing, and, and here's where you ought to be. But God reminds them, and if we go back, and, he, and he, he gives an illustration, which we'll get into. He illustrates that love, and we'll get into that. But, you know, God says in Deuteronomy 4, he said that he loved your fathers, and he chose their offspring after them. And then in Deuteronomy 7, he said, it was not because you were more in number that I chose you, but that because God set his love on you, and he chose you. I'd like you to just Note those two words that were in those, both of those verses. One was love and one was chose. God loved and God chose. Now, was it in that order? Let's, we're not going to slice and dice that into that. God loved and God chose. God chose and God loved. I think they were simultaneous. And God's going to say to the children of Israel, and he's saying to you and I today, that he, his love is a faithful love. His love is a forever love. The, the Hebrews reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The love of God that was existent from eternity past and is present today will be the same in eternity future. The, God's love will not change. If, if you are here this morning and you're listening to this message, this message was a message to God's people. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, God's message to you and his faithfulness to you and to loving you will not change. God loves you and he wants what's best for you. And sometimes what's best for us is for God to say to us, I'm sorry, but you need, this, you need to change this in your life. And he points it out to this. These are, you know, I was thinking about the different things that he says as you read through the book of Malachi. I encourage you, if you haven't done so, to read through the book of Malachi. It's quite short. Um, these are not accusations, like at least not the way my mind thinks of them. These are not, these are facts. This is, this is how it is, and this is what you should be doing, right? This is not God accusing them. This is just God being really point blank with them and saying, look, 
this is what you're doing and you need to do something different. He's not saying something different, he's telling them specifically different, right? But um, we don't have time to go through the entire book this morning. God's love is a faithful love, it's a forever love, it's a demonstrated love, and he's going to show how he demonstrated that love in the illustration that follows here in a few verses. But for us, we might look at verses like 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, where John would write, but we, by this we know love that he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. We know love because the Lord Jesus laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is unchanging. God's love is a demonstrated love. We know from, from Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an unconditional love. It's not performance-based. If in your, if think about your childhood or think about your family, your children. If you're a child, think about the relationship that you have. If, if, if I only love my children when they do what I expect, that's conditional. If you're, if you're a child and you think your parents only love you when you do what they expect, they might be pleased with you, right? But their love doesn't change. God's love for you and I does not change based upon our behavior. God does not love you more when you're good. He does not love you less when you sin as a child of God. One of the great truths that we need to grasp and, and really get a hold of is that God loves you and me unconditionally, and he wants us so much to know that we are secure in his love. He wanted Israel to know that Israel, I understand, I know where you're at, but I want you to know that I love you. I have loved you. C.S. Lewis said this about that. He said, God's love is not dependent on us. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. The Apostle Paul would write in uh, one of his prayers to the, for the Ephesians in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he would write this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's love surpasses knowledge. You and I cannot ever get to the end, to the bottom, to the sides, to the, to the fullness of God's love. It is so great. And, and Paul says through the Holy Spirit that God desires that we would know as much as our human minds can grasp through the Holy Spirit working in us of the love that he has for us. So we come then to uh, verse um, 2. God says, I have loved you. And then we come to the first uh, occurrence of that little phrase, but you say. And so this is God saying to them, um, I, I have loved you, but this is what you say. 
right? So I thought about that, and sometimes uh, uh, in, in working with people, I found that uh, when you're trying to encourage them in, a, in the right behavior, you would do something similar to this. You would say to them, this is what I observe, and this is what's going on, and it can't continue because we need to go in a different direction, right? That's what God's saying to Israel. Israel, I love you. You say, how have, how have you loved us? And the Lord's saying, that can't continue. That can't go on. That's not, and so he's going to illustrate for them what that looks like. But think about Israel in this response. It's the nation of Israel. We know, uh, and even as we read through the book of Malachi, we know that God has a remnant. God always has a faithful remnant. Remember Elijah, right? Elijah thought he was the last guy standing. And the Lord said, I have, I think it was 7,000 that had not bowed, uh, bowed the knee to Baal. God always has a faithful remnant. And so while God's addressing the nation, there are individuals in that nation who are still faithfully following God. But the nation as a whole had walked away from God, had gone in some, there was some aspects that looked kind of like they were following God, but they weren't really following God. They were cold. It kind of reminds me of uh, perhaps uh, it brings up that idea of a, of a rebellious teenager, right? Parents say, you need to do this, and the teenager's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Why am I not going to do that? Because you asked me to, so I'm not going to do that. Now, if you're here today and you're a rebellious teenager, uh, you need to take that up between you and the Lord. If your parents are asking you to do something and you're not doing it, then you should have a conversation with the Lord and see what he expects of you. Uh, because he has an expectation of your behavior, right? But Israel had lost sight of God's love and God's faithfulness. They drifted away. Whether, you know, as they, as they went through life and as they got farther and farther from that time of revival in the nation, they drifted away from the truths of God. The things, they're like, God isn't coming through the way we expected this isn't how I thought my life was going to look. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand why there's still uh, people that are ruling over us that aren't, that aren't uh, of the nation of Israel. We don't understand these things. And so they drifted away, and they got themselves into a lot of trouble in that drifting. And what about the church today? If this is a message to the church today, how would you describe the church today? How would you describe the church today? Some of these are just questions that I'm going to pose for you to ponder and to think about. Um, I'm not going to attempt to answer them because I might think a different thought than you would, and then it'll just, you know, we'll all get off on that, and it'll be like, what was the point of that? What about my relationship with God? What about your relationship with God? In our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have choices. Now, in my simple mind, I see it as two options. I see two options for my life. I see that I can be surrendered and yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, or I can be drifting. Because I, I, don't, see, I don't see a spot where I can stay still and not move. I don't see a way in life where I can stand still 
in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not move. Now, I might think that I'm not moving, but I would submit to you that when you are not growing, you are drifting. And you don't drift closer to God, you drift away from God. You don't drift, you know, think about relationships, right? For people that are married, this is really easy to understand. For people that have friends, your best friend, think about your best friend. Think about somebody you really, you know, you have a good relationship with. When, when you don't spend time with them, right? You might still be friends, but you do drift apart. You don't know what's going on in their life as intimately as you would if you were spending time with them every day. In a marriage relationship, we can drift apart because of life. Life gets in the way or because of choices that we make, we drift apart in any relationship, not just a marriage relationship. So if you're not married, it still applies to you. But we can drift away. And so when we think about the message that God had for the children of Israel where he would say, I have loved you, the children of Israel's response is, how have you loved us? If God, if the Lord Jesus Christ was to sit down beside you this afternoon, whatever you're doing, and say to you, I have loved you, what would your response be? What would you say to the Lord Jesus Christ if he sat next to you or across the table from you and he said, I have loved you? What would your response be? So the Lord says, to the, in response to their, to their question, which is probably, uh, it seems to come across as, um, as one version put it, uh, the Lord says, I have loved you. And in this version, it said, really? How have you loved us? Kind of like that, like, sarcastic, you know, feeling of, no, you haven't really loved us. And the Lord says to them, is not, Esau, Jacob's brother. Yet I have loved Jacob, and Esau I have hated. Now, as we read through there, we understand and we know from other places in Scripture that Jacob is Israel, right? Jacob was Jacob, but he became, changed his name to Israel. He became the nation of Israel through him. And Esau became, from him came the nation of Edom. So we have, because God's dealing at a national level in this communication right now, we have these two nations, Israel and Edom. And God says, look, all the, all the people of Israel knew the story of Jacob and Esau, right? They all knew it. There was not even the, one, even the, even the, uh, the ones that, that kind of goofed off during, you know, Sunday school kind of feeling, right? Like they may have not had Sunday school like we would think of it, but there was a time when they were being taught. They weren't paying attention. They all knew the story. They all knew the story of Jacob and Esau. They knew where they came from. It was very important to them where they came from. And God says, let me, let me take you back to Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, who it was prophesied that the older would serve the younger before they were born. And they come out of the womb and... and it seems like uh, even as you read that story that they were struggling, there was a struggle going on with them 
from the beginning, the, the fact that uh, their mother was like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And the Lord's like, well, here's what's going on. You know, there's going to be this struggle and the, and the, and the older one's going to serve the younger one and they're kind of starting that early, you know. But he says something here that's really uh, takes us back perhaps when he says, I have loved Jacob and Esau I have hated. Now he goes on to explain what happened to the land of Edom, how that he laid waste their hill country and their heritage was given to the jackals of the desert and that if they tried to rebuild that he would just wipe it out. And if you go back and look at history and if you read the book of Obadiah, uh, that's back uh, cl close to Jonah, right? If you read the book of Obadiah, it talks all about what's going to happen to Edom. And the Lord says, this is why this is going to happen. Because Edom, when, when your brother, Israel, was in trouble, you were like one of those that was attacking them. You, you didn't help. You stood by and watched. In fact, uh, Edom was often uh, an adversary of Israel. And so... Edom goes off on their own, right? They go off and they follow that path of always making a choice against God. But if we go back to uh, earlier in the message where it says that uh, when God says to the, to the children of Israel, I love you and I chose you, we go back to this idea that God chose to place his love upon Israel. He chose them. And he says about Esau, Esau I have hated. Now those are difficult things for us to wrap our, our mind around. And when we think about that, I would suggest to you that this idea of love and hate is a contrast. God is saying, look at the contrast between the nation of Israel and what I have done with them and what has happened with the nation of Edom. My love for Israel is so great that by contrast, it appears or it looks like I, there's hatred for, for Edom. And um, so a couple of ways that we can think about that and look about that, uh, think about that in, the, in the, this idea of the contrast if we were to go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, uh, the Lord Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So when we look at that, if we look at the the passage in Luke, it says that you have to hate your wife. Does God want you to hate your wife? Well, that seems somewhat contradictory to Ephesians 5. And um, so then we, we see this idea of contrast, that the contrast is that the love for the Lord Jesus is so great that by every other love in our life, it ought to appear as hatred. Not in our actions. We're not to act in hatred. There's, there's the, the message of God through to the people that he created, whether they're 
Israelites or the rest of us, right, is that God is love and I love you and I sent my son to die for you. It's not a message of I love you and I hate you. It's a message of I love you and I want what's best for you. And so in this, in this example that he uses, we see that he says, I have loved Jacob and Esau I have hated. And, and it looks like because of what happened to Esau that God hates them. Does that mean that everybody in Edom was lost? We don't get to know that, right? We don't get those answers. God doesn't give us those answers. This is not a book about Edom. The, this book, the Bible, is not a book about Edom. It's a book about God's plan and God's salvation and God's work and what he is doing and not about every individual that gets mentioned. But in our human frailty, we, we struggle to grasp the intentions and the actions of a sovereign God. In fact, I would say that it's not unusual for us to struggle with the whole idea that God is sovereign, right? Like, uh, are you, God, are you sure that was the right decision? Oh, he's absolutely sure. He has no doubt. He wasn't surprised. But we see, we see this idea of God's um, sovereignty in, in the things that he does, the actions that he takes, the steps that he takes, his intention. We see that in Jacob and Esau. We see that in Pharaoh. Right? We see Pharaoh, who was raised up so that God could display his power and his salvation and his glory. We see uh, God at work in other places like Samson, the unlikely judge. Samson was an unlikely judge when you read Samson's story. We see the difference, the contrast, and how God dealt with Saul and David. In all of God's actions, he is just. He is He is. Um, truthful, and he is all, in every action, all of his characteristics come into play. He, does, he doesn't make a mistake. He's, he's, he's not emotionally responding like we might. I would suggest to you that those are just a few examples of that verse. I think it's in... Um, in Isaiah that says that, that his thoughts and his ways are not my thoughts and not my ways. If I can explain to you the sovereignty of God, then God is too small. Okay, because I know that I cannot explain the sovereignty of God. And it wouldn't matter, the smartest person in the room or the smartest person on the planet could not explain to us the sovereignty of God because God is so much bigger and greater and more awesome. And there is, in all of Christian life, there is an element called faith that comes into play, regardless of what it is that you might be questioning. God says, trust me, right? Isn't that what he said? That, isn't that what Solomon told us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord. There are times in life when things won't go the way we expect. There are times when things will happen that we... Um, don't want to happen, uh, or we will make bad choices in our life, and we will find ourselves in a place where we're like, how did I get here? What's going on? But God is still sovereign. God has not lost control. He is sovereign. And God wants the people of Israel to know that he loves them. 
And he demonstrated that love by his actions with them, how he took them, how he blessed them. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them into a promised land. He blessed them with many blessings. And at the same time, he said to them, when you come into the land and when you are satisfied with all that you have and you turn from me, this is what's going to happen. God knew ahead of time. He told them ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. But God was still in control. As we look at the, at the last verse in, in the section that we considered of verse 5, I think this is a promise of hope. I see this as a promise of hope. Your own eyes, he says to Israel, your own eyes shall see uh, this and shall say, they're going to see what happens to Edom. And they're going to observe that what God said and what God said would come to pass would come to pass. And that's going to cause them to say that God is great, not just in Israel, but beyond the borders of Israel. Today, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're gathered here, is a clear indication that God is great beyond the borders of Israel. God's name has gone forth into all the earth. Now, there's no doubt some unreached people still, but God is at work making his name great beyond the borders of Israel. And when we see that, when we see the greatness and the awesomeness and the love of God, shouldn't it touch our lives? Shouldn't it change our response to him? Shouldn't it make us say, when God says to you and to me, I have loved you, Shouldn't we fall before him in humbleness with thankful hearts of the gratitude that God redeemed us, that he called us, that we are his children? I realize that, that we have difficulties in life. We have struggles. But God loves you. He wants what's best for you. His desire is for you to know his love. His desire is that we would not be like the children of Israel, that we would not say back to God, how have you loved me? He said, there's my son. There's my son. I sent him for you. Everything else doesn't matter. Nothing else matters in this life apart from Jesus. God loves you. God sent his son for you. If you're not a child of God, God loves you and he sent his son for you. He sent him to, re to pay for the penalty of your sins, the things that you have done wrong, that in your conscience you know that you have offended someone, even if you don't know that God exists. He loves you, and he sent his son for you. I'd like to close with these words from a song called The Heart of God. It goes like this, I know that you're hurting. I can see it in your eyes. So pull back the curtains and take off your disguise. 
Whoever told you you ain't worth the fight, the cross tells a story that'll change your mind. Because there's only love in the heart of God, no room for shame in his open arms. There's beauty for ashes, so come as you are. There's only love in the heart of God. Come, prodigal children, it's never too late. Run home to the Father, let him clothe you with grace. And bury your burdens, break free from your fears, step out of the shadows, there's no judgment here. There's only love in the heart of God, no room for shame in his open arms. There's beauty from ashes, so come as you are. There's only love in the heart of God. Father, this morning as we consider your people Israel and as we think about these um, facts, these truths that you brought to them, um, then you would say to them, I have loved you. And they would respond with wayward hearts and say, how have you loved us? Father, this morning we pray that our hearts would be, would be softened, that they would not be hard, that we would hear your voice saying, I have loved you. And that we would see the love of your son, that we would see that in all of life, regardless of the circumstances that we face, regardless of the path that we've walked down, regardless of the sins that we've sinned, that you love us and you desire a relationship with us. So Father, this morning, help us to be surrendered and yielded to you, to be your humble and faithful children, we pray. And Father, if there's anyone here who has never put their trust in Christ, I pray that you would stir their hearts. It would challenge their hearts, Father, challenge each of our hearts. That if you were to come down and sit next to us right now and say, I have loved you, how would we respond? We thank you that you love us. We thank you that we have a God who cares. We thank you that we have a God who does not base his love on our performance. And we give you praise in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>